Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at KSLNewsRadio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero, and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. We start this week not knowing yet what will become of Natalie Klein, the state school board member who came under fire late last week for that post on Facebook. However, in the 10 o'clock hour, we will be going in-depth on what the options are right now on Utah's Capitol Hill uh, to address this. Uh, That's right. She's a state school board member, but she may, if she does not resign, Dave, be uh, dealt a hand of cards from Utah's Capitol Hill. Yeah, might be an impeachment. Uh, At the worst, it looks like she'll have a very, very, very hard time getting reelected this year. It's 9.07. It's time for the launch. Engaged. And brought to you by Mountain America Credit Union. Here are the three things that Debbie wants you to know. Countdown three. I do really want to go right on the money at 9.50 with this. We are now, what, is it seven, six weeks outside of Christmas? Um, many Utahns admitting in a brand new Desert News poll, they will not be able to pay off their holiday credit card debt for at least a full year. Um, wow. Yeah, and, and Utah credit card debt, Dave? Now at a staggering, oh, $6,800 in credit card debt. At a nice 20-something percent 29, APR. 29, almost 30%. I feel like we need a good Monday morning intervention. You know, we've all heard of the debt snowball, right? We've heard of the debt snowball. If you haven't, don't worry. We'll bring you up to speed on what that is at 950. Uh, we're going to add some oomph to the debt snowball and let you in on the debt avalanche method. That's right. I said avalanche. We all know what those are, right? They just happen fast and bam, it's done. What happens with the debt avalanche is that you end up spending less over time and therefore paying off your debt faster because you are getting rid of that high interest debt first. I think the biggest problem we have right now, and this is very clear to me, especially coming right off of Christmas, we can't say no to ourselves. I don't know if it is a problem with COVID that we were locked away for so long that we've just lost all sanity when it comes to spending. But this is not all to be blamed on inflation. This is not to be blamed on rising costs. I think this is staring ourselves in the mirror, looking at ourselves and saying, stop buying things. Countdown to speaking of state school board member, Natalie Klein facing growing pressure to resign after her Facebook post implied a high school girls basketball player is transgender. Let me say it again. She is not transgender. So if Klein won't resign after that post, can lawmakers actually remove her from office? Well, the House of Representatives have opened a file literally called the resolution to address state school board member Natalie Natalie Klein. We'll have live analysis on what lawmakers might do, can do, should do in our 10 o'clock hour. No one should put anybody, anyone else's kids' pictures on Facebook, no matter what the issue. That's just not a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was a terrible thing. I think uh, the question I have right now, Debbie, is, is this an impeachable offense? 
Or is this just something where we need to look and say, wow, that was it. We made a terrible decision electing this individual. So the next time she runs, if she does run, we're not going to elect that person. And I think sometimes we, we think, oh, you know what? Everything's an impeachable offense. Maybe this is. Maybe it's not. But it's difficult when it's elected officials because there isn't an easy way to just get rid of somebody. Launch countdown one. The day before the big game, U.S. Senator Mike Lee was not preparing Super Bowl snacks, at least not that we know of. But instead, he was involved in a nearly four-hour-long speech against funding in the Ukraine war. I guess he wasn't involved. He was actually doing this speech for nearly four hours. I think all of us would like to see Ukraine just win. We can't wish it into existence. We can't just dump enough money into it to make it happen. Now, I've watched chunks of this, if you missed it. You are not alone. There are a lot of Republicans, 11 by last count that I saw, that admitted to not watching Senator Lee's four-hour filibuster. Senator Mitt Romney, he admitted that as well. So was it a waste of time? It's harsh, but probably. But it shouldn't have been. Senator Lee brought up a lot of good questions about what we're doing in Ukraine. The launch. Commence. Dave and Dujanovic. Special coverage of the top national story. Well, there was a plan uh, back in D.C. to address both border security and Ukraine funding. Uh, That plan died last week. And it died because I think the House of Representatives, they got greedy. They wanted more. It wasn't enough. And I think because they got to get a little bit greedy... It just, it ended up falling away. Now, former President Donald Trump was calling up members of Congress saying, this is a bad bill, don't address it, don't do it. And what that bill did was essentially address Ukraine funding and the southern border. So that bill fails. A new bill pops up. It's focused just on funding for Ukraine without tying it to border security. And so begins this marathon-style, Super Bowl-length filibuster by Senator Mike Lee, who lays out the problem with this latest iteration of the bill. Senate Republicans made a commitment, a commitment that we made to each other and that we made to the American people. That commitment was simple. It was one that said, before we send another dollar, another dime, another penny to Ukraine, let's do what we can to actually enforce the border. Now, this is a tricky uh, argument for Mike Lee to make because Mike Lee, for a very, very long time, as long as I can remember, has always said, I hate tying everything together. I don't like taking one issue and another issue and then lumping them into bills when they have nothing to do with each other. Well, he's saying in this right here, that's exactly what we want. We want to tie southern border security to Ukraine funding. Those are two totally separate issues that we should be voting on separately. But Republicans had made a plan, and the plan was keep these two together. Let's force the the Democrats into conceding. Uh, He says it also gives Democrats a good win, a big win. Uh, They get to fund Ukraine's defense against Russia without giving up any concessions 
on the border. Democrats win. Democrats get the support of 17 Republicans who will support not only the legislation crafted in secret that unites Democrats and sharply divides Republicans, but also alienates overwhelmingly and with good reason most Republican voters. Well, let's ask next of ABC News when they join us. Does this bill stand a chance uh, of passing? Dave and Janovic. Dave and Janovic. Special coverage of the top national story. Senator Mike Lee spent about four hours of a Saturday on the Senate floor filibustering. He's talking, 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 talking. Maybe to himself. (laughs) 100% to himself. That was a barren chamber. So Ukraine is running out of money. President Zelensky has made it clear. He's come to the U.S. several times. He's been here in person. He's begged Congress for help, for funding. But our very own Senator Mike Lee isn't convinced we should continue funding Ukraine's fight against Russia. I think all of us would like to see Ukraine just win. We can't wish it into existence. We can't just dump enough money into it to make it happen. On the contrary, economic aid by some measures, is proving to be a colossal waste of money. And in the f- past couple of years, we've sunk uh, about $100 billion plus into the Ukraine war. And Lee called this a proxy war, meaning we're fighting Russia, but without having to put American lives at risk. How much money did you say? Uh, over $100 billion. Wow. Uh, this uh, February 24th will mark two years. Two years since Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, There's also a a political problem for Republicans here. Um, They had a plan to address the southern border of the United States, right? Uh, And it was directly funded or tied to Ukraine funding. And especially if you're a Republican, any of the Republicans who I think all of us said we should use this as an opportunity to force border security, to harness what support there is behind providing additional assistance to Ukraine to force security of the border with an administration bent on the opposite of that. Now, Senator Lee said there were times in in this speech where he wasn't completely opposed to helping Ukraine. The largest complaint, although he did put some question marks, he's like, I'm not sure what we're doing is working Ukraine has stalled. They haven't been pushing Russia back. They're, they're not winning uh, in their counterattack. But he said largely the problem is we haven't had the chance. Uh, we had a chance to tie border security and really address the border to Ukraine funding. It was, it was the game plan of the Republicans, and it has failed. They've abandoned that. Wow. Ike in Washington, D.C. with ABC News, of course. Thanks for joining us. Um, that's a that's a bit of a revelation now that they were so insistent that they were going to tie all this together. And now here we are on a Monday in February. It looks like that that's falling apart, Ike. It really is. And what we're seeing right now is the Senate trying to essentially keep its promises right now in the wake of House Republicans essentially doing an about face on their border deal. We saw House Speaker Mike Johnson say time and time again for months that any aid for Ukraine in Israel must be tied to a border deal. Well, you know, you had a bipartisan group get together and create one that essentially the conservative-leaning uh, leaning, uh, uh, 
Border Patrol agency, uh, and several others said that it was a positive. So what you're seeing now is essentially uh, an effort by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Republican Leader, uh, rather um, Chuck Schumer and Republican Leader uh, McConnell, to essentially try to pass wartime funding for Ukraine, Israel, and other countries. And McConnell issued a stark warning about the consequences of abandoning this. He said, no exaggeration, the eyes of the world are on the United States. So we saw the Senate over the weekend vote essentially in overwhelming fashion, 67 to 27, to move forward on that $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and other countries. And it's a rare sight, senators on Super Bowl Sunday working to try to pick up the pieces from what essentially House Republicans decided to leave on the floor. Another thing that was infuriating Senator Lee, and he he kind of got, went on a, a Twitter rant. I'm not sure what the X version of X rant, <laughs> Twitter rant is. <laughs> where I want to be careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm not, this is live radio. We're just on the fly here. I, uh, but one of his frustrations. <laughs> We're gonna have to censor Dave. I love it. <laughs> Good one. I... one. One of his frustrations was uh, that that they're not able to in this bill add amendments uh, to be able to make some tweaks and changes, and uh, that that really this was done behind closed doors. Exactly, and and that's what some of the com- complaints you're seeing right now. But it is important to note that Democrats they are trying to add amendments. Uh, That's something that uh, Schumer said. He said that he is open to amendments, most of which, which, however, would be likely to fail. But he forced senators to stay in session through the weekend to try to essentially speed up the process. But uh, what we're seeing right now is just an inability to uh, move forward on this right now, Mm. you know, and those so, so so-called amendments, it's not necessarily that they're closed doors that, well, the work doesn't want to be done. Right now, yeah. we're seeing an outside force from former President Donald Trump openly campaigning against any kind of deal on the border or wartime aid for Israel, Ukraine, so on and so forth. And that is in direct conflict with what what used to be a majority of Republicans and Democrats right when this war started. Yeah. They were unified on this. But yeah. we're seeing the effects of former President Donald Trump have on the Republican Party now, not only in the House, but also in the Senate. Ike, before we let you go, what's what are the odds um, that this will get through the House? Again, uh, it's right now. Its future is deeply uncertain okay. in the House. Uh, a large majority of those GOP lawmakers, they're all firmly allied with Trump. Like I was saying, and, and right now we're seeing Trump. Really, I'm not sure where former President Donald Trump is allied with. Uh, it's it's rather shocking. Some of the claims he made recently with NATO, uh, European allies, uh, threatening to not support them and telling Russia to do what they want to them. Uh, it's a little end, uh, opposite of uh, essentially what a vast majority of the history of the United States has been. So you're seeing a Republican Party react and it start to take on some of these uh, essential beliefs and motivations from former President Donald Trump, which is making something as easy as wartime aid for Ukraine, something that was across the board, almost supported, again, almost a year ago now, cannot get through the Senate or the House. 
Ike Jachi, thank you for joining us, ABC News correspondent out of Washington. We're not sure how Mike Lee's, Senator Mike Lee's filibuster uh, will land. And especially if you're a Republican, any of the Republicans who I think all of us said we should use this as an opportunity to force border security, to harness what support there is behind providing additional assistance to Ukraine to force security of the border with an administration bent on the opposite of that. I do wonder if Republicans have gotten a little greedy in this conversation. Do say more. <laughs> there was a there was a deal. There was a deal in place mm-hmm. and it seemed to have some real support. Uh was it perfect? Did it give Republicans everything they wanted? No. Republicans want to address the southern border before they address anything overseas. Like that's an oversimplification, but very much they want to focus on the southern border. Well, that was the the negotiation is, okay, we're going to give you Ukraine funding. We'll give you some Israel funding, but you have to crack down on, on the border. Well, they'd hashed out a plan, a plan that a lot of Democrats hated. They did not like this plan. They thought they'd given way too much up to the Republicans, but Republicans got a little greedy. They wanted a little more. The House of Representatives, they said, we want more. We want more, more, more. And the deal falls apart. You know, perfection is the enemy of good. And I think a lot of people looked at the bill that just died, that bipartisan bill, was good. Was it great? Was it what everyone wanted? No, it was a compromise. So you feel like tying uh, Ukraine funding and other funding to the southern border was the right move? It was a smart move. I something done at the border while uh, still funding uh, Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. The the biggest problem is I'm actually against uh, Senator Lee on this in the sense that I don't have a problem with voting on individual bills. Let's talk about Ukraine. Let's address that bill. Let's talk about the southern border. Let's address that bill. When we throw them all together and they have nothing to do with each other, that's what makes Washington ugly. Hmm. So actually, you don't agree with Senator Mike Lee on how. <laughs> all right. Now that we've got that sorted out, it's clear as mud. Next. I remember how we all laughed at this idea of drawing Pacific Ocean water from the coast of California to fill up the Great Salt Lake? <laughs> Utah's Capitol Hill isn't laughing. It turns out they're getting serious about it. Next. Avon Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories. On KSL News Radio, Eye on the Hill 2024. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Utah lawmakers uh, looking into several things on Utah's Capitol Hill. And you know how we all laughed? Not too long ago about the idea of bringing water in from the Pacific Ocean uh, to fill up. Dave's still laughing. He's laughing. It's to fill up the Great Salt Lake. In a moment, we're going to talk to KSL News Radio's Adam Small about this, Dave, because it feels like they're, they're getting serious. <laughs> it ain't just part of a comedy skit. Um, they're also looking at this as well. A new water agent. Um, this agent... what? <laughs> A water agent sounds like such a weird term. Like 007 is basically the James Bond of water agents. <laughs> Special agent. Love that Senate President Stuart Adams joined Utah's Morning News this morning to keep us up to date on what's going on in Capitol Hill. Let's let him explain what his water agent 007 would do. That water agent will work with other states to try to develop new water sources. We know we have to conserve, 
But we know that without new water resources, uh, water is the limiting factor to our growth. It's in uh, there's so many opportunities. There are analysts as to how we can work with other states to find a win-win with them. And I think because we don't cover this, we're not experts. Where does that water come from? Oh, <laughs> you know where? Where does it magically come from? So he addressed that uh, with uh, when Amanda asked him a question about that years ago. We talked about bringing water from the Pacific Ocean. Everybody kind of laughed at it, but uh, we actually didn't want to do that. We thought of maybe setting up desalination plants in California and then trading California. Their Colorado River may be water, uh, water, uh, water rights mm. and us paying for the desalination plants. Nevada's doing that. They're actually trying to work with California, building desalination plants so that they can have water out of the ocean. And then the water that would have flowed to California, Nevada's keeping it, actually creates new water. That's an innovative idea that started in Utah, I think, and Nevada's using it. And we just need to, we need to be ahead of the curve rather than behind Nevada. They scooped us. You remember the very first time I'd heard this idea was in the uh, Senate primary with Bruce Huff and Mike Lee, um, and I remember him saying this. Oh, sorry, it was it was uh, with Celeste Malloy, but but he had talked about this very thing about a desalinization plant mm-hmm. in California. And again, it's not that makes so much more sense to say, hey, instead of us sending you a whole bunch of water from the Colorado River, we're going to keep a little bit more of that water, but we'll help pay for you to develop this desalinization plant so you guys can take all that salty ocean water and turn yeah. it into drinking water. It's like baseball trading cards. That's exact, <laughs> That's exactly what it is, Deb. KSL News Radio reporter Adam Small, always tracking the developments on the Great Salt Lake for us here at KSL News Radio. So we did laugh at the ocean water concept being piped to Utah, which did sound a bit ridiculous over the river and through the woods. You know, up the up the hill, the pipe goes for you know hundreds and hundreds of miles. But the trading card idea, the baseball trading card idea. Uh, sounds reasonable. What's your what's what's your knowledge on this uh, issue, Adam? I mean, this is a pretty new thought to me that this morning. I mean, I when we first talked about the ocean water, I had thought about that original proposal to actually build a pipeline that shoots water all the way up from the ocean to Utah. But you know, some scientists came out and were like, "Look, this is going to cause way too much emission, costs way too much energy, and of course, way too much money." But the desalinization plant idea has been something that I feel like California has been at least. You know, people down there have talked about. I've lived in California for a couple of years where it's like, you know, we struggle to get water. Why not have these desalinization plants? The trade off with Utah of like, you don't have to build the pipeline and we could keep more Colorado River water potentially not, at least my initial reaction, potentially not only solves maybe some of the Great Salt Lakes problems, but also Lake Powell. I don't feel like we talk about Lake Powell that often because we're so far away, but Lake Powell's still only 33% full. Like that. And the Colorado River, that's direct inflow to Lake Powell. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, I'd probably want to see a little bit more research into this idea. But, I mean, at face value, definitely sounds like a really good trade. I don't know. The tricky part here, though, is getting California to play along and building a desalinization plant or expanding them. That can be extremely expensive. And the biggest problem I've... I went down a weird rabbit hole of, of desalinization a few weeks ago, but it is incredibly energy intensive. So the big question is, where does all that energy come from? And it seems like one of those common answers is it's great for nuclear. You know, nuclear power mm-hmm. can help, uh, you know, 
kind of work in tandem, kind of a symbiotic relationship. Do you get the impression, Adam, in covering the Great Salt Lake issue up on Capitol Hill that lawmakers are really just willing to throw anything at the wall and see what sticks at this point? Yeah, and it seems like it's been that way for the last couple of years. I mean, I've I've been following a couple bills closer than others, but I mean, you you can our legislative website is so cool where you're like you can go in and just search keywords. I've found so many bills, so many different ideas on the Great Salt Lake. Like, I I followed one. It's called an appropriation request, but really it means like, hey, can the state give us money for this thing? Um, there's a project where they're trying to redo this or uh, update this pipeline that runs through Ogden Canyon, sending water down to residents in Ogden. But the end of the line shoots out into this part of the Great Salt Lake called Willard Spur, where there's like avian botulism outbreaks every summer. And they're like, hey, if you give us some money, we'll dump some water into Willard Spur and help the Great Salt Lake and potentially help save the lives of hundreds, maybe even thousands of birds. But then also there was a huge one last week where you know, it's it's a pretty heated one where the some lawmakers want mineral companies to not have as much written right to basically infinite amount of water in the Great Salt Lake to evaporate it to harvest minerals. It's uh, and the Utah Manufacturers Association, if my memory serves, uh, uh, the man in charge of it, uh, Todd Bigham. Uh, went before Capitol Hill. I have reached out personally to the sponsor a number of times. And uh, if I dare say in front of this group, he has never responded to me. Okay, that's over the mineral rights debate. And here's what House Speaker Mike Schultz uh, said in return. I don't think it's fair, and it really frustrates me, to be honest, that these companies haven't engaged in a good faith negotiation to help find a solution. So where do they land on this one with mineral rights? Well, the, most of us don't even understand anything about, but it's a big deal, Adam, to the, the, the companies that do. Right. And and I guess to kind of frame it all together. So I, I've spoken with the Department of Natural Resources more times than I can count. So they basically broke down how much of the Great Salt Lake's either upstream water or water in it is used every year. Farming is still the predominant like runaway number one like water user. Yeah. They use almost two thirds of the upstream water, but mineral companies, they still do have a pretty good chunk. They use about eight percent of the Great Salt Lake's yearly water. And so this legislation, which Mike Schultz was working on before he became House Speaker last year, which I did a story on last year with him, he basically how it's written in Utah law now is these mineral companies, which are important to Utah's economy, they extract these minerals, they pay royalties to the state. It is important for us, but they also do use a lot of water. Under the way the law is written, they can use as much water as they want until the Great Salt Lake is completely dried up. So basically this legislation passed... (laughs) committee unanimously and they want to change the language to hey you guys need to have limits set too adam small thank you for joining us keep an eye on it for us adam great stuff next uh are you in debt up to your eyeballs uh especially after christmas you're still paying off that debt (laughs) you're not alone uh next uh let's set aside the debt snowball for just a moment we're going to talk about the debt avalanche as a way to pay down that high interest credit card. What happens with the debt avalanche is that you end up spending less over time and therefore paying off your debt faster. Dave and Dujanovic. Dave and Dujanovic. Oh, if you forgot about our secret contest over the weekend, no worries. Uh, We're going to bring you up to speed on what we're doing. It's exclusively for our podcast listeners. So here's what you need to do. You just go find our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We podcast our show every day right after the show. You can find it on kslpodcast.com. And then you're going to listen for Dave to tell you something. Yep. I'll give you a keyword 
a keyword, and then you got to text us at 57500, and you can win a pair of AirPod Pros. We're giving them away all month long, so throughout February. So if you're like, oh, I just missed it last week, don't worry. We're giving them away this week as well. Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Yeah, don't put those AirPod Pros on a credit card. At least do your best to try to win a pair. As many of you admitted in a new Deseret News, Hinkley Institute of Politics poll uh, that just came out, you got into some credit card debt over the holidays. And you will not be able to bail yourselves out for at least a year. That is such a yikes statement. Like, are we aware of what is going on right now? Like, listen, we've always had credit card debt in this country. We've, my entire life, I've carried a balance. So I'm not, I'm not judging anyone too harshly here. I'm there. I've been there. We, we've all been there. But I think we are having a terrible time right now saying no to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for a long time. And, and I think there was a little bit of COVID to blame. Locked away, shut down, we couldn't do anything. And now that we're freed, we are spending. We're spending on experiences. We're spending on stuff. And when you said that full well people are, are looking at what they spent over the, the holiday season and realizing it's going to take them an entire year mm-hmm. to get back, that is a us problem. Well, and the folks who gave the gifts to won't even remember what you gave them, and you probably won't either by the time it's paid off. That's the sad truth about overspending on the holidays. You said that's it, well, a good little quiz, Deb. Uh huh. I hadn't I hadn't oh, yeah. thought of it that way. Like, ask go yourself. ahead, ask yourself, what did I get my spouse this, and what did they get me, and how many of those things did they like? My bought my wife bought me some clothes. I don't know how many shirts. Or jackets or pants. I, I I don't remember exactly. I remember, oh, yeah, she got me some clothes. It's it's momentary joy for long-term financial pain. It's true. Um, I'm just going to keep coming at you with these great... Uh... <laughs> We're in a roll right <laughs> yeah, now, Deb. These are, no, Financial this is, planner this over here. This is all here. about mindset change. So let me do this, Dave. Let me ask you this. Okay. If I walked into work and I said... And let's say I just, you don't even know me because I know you would do this for me. You would be running around to the banks this morning. If I came into work and said, hey, I need $500, would you, you just give me yeah, $500. You, yeah. yeah, just give it to me. I'm not, yeah. I don't plan on repaying <laughs> you. don't want to justify it. Okay. Right. No, I just don't. I'm not going to repay you. You're just going to give me $500. That's exactly what we're doing with credit card companies because we pay such high interest on that on that debt, mm. and they love us for it, we're just giving away free money. So we're going to work every single day, spending hours and hours and hours, being the best employee we can be to the point we fall asleep with our mouth right open, drool coming out of our mouth at 9 o'clock at night. Okay, you know it. You know it. And yet, you're willingly keeping putting things on a credit card without saying no to yourself or just explaining to your family, this is not the year for me to go into debt again. Mm-hmm. And then spending that $500 you just earned, maybe it's every few months or whatever. It's just an example on that interest. It's just gone. Interest is like you might as well just drive down I-15 and start throwing money out the window. That's exactly what you're doing. You did not pay $3,000 for that $1,000 television, but you did. Mm -hmm. So um, many of them, we've heard this, many people are blaming on inflation. That's just what I've heard for the last few years. 
But as you rightly pointed out just moments ago, we've been doing this since credit cards became a thing. Yeah. Uh, which is long, long before President Biden took office and inflation went wild. Um, 18% of those polled in this Desert News Hinkley Institute of Politics poll, Dave, said they went into debt uh, for the holidays. Now, the good news is, you want to look at the good news, 80% said they didn't. So woo, there's, a, there's, there's a victory for 80%, which is huge. But it's that almost 20% who said I, I I took out the credit card again? Now I would I would I see the argument where you say everything else in my life is more expensive because of inflation. I'm I'm sympathetic to that argument because I I see that. Yes, we have felt that it, we're spending an extra eight hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a month because of the inflation of the past few years. Now, sure. Inflation has slowed down a little bit right now, but that doesn't change the fact that the past three years has increased the price of everything, and those have a new price point. That is the new cost of things. So the fact that everyday living is eating up your entire budget and then the discretionary spending of holidays and gifts, that that can only be put on a credit card, I get it. I I, I understand but instead of saying no to us or ourselves and saying no to giving gifts or at least a very modest modest mm-hmm. gift, we don't. We 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 keep the standard that we've set for the past several years. We've talked a lot, Dave, over the years about this debt snowball where you pay off the smallest credit card bill first and yeah. then you use that payment, you apply that payment to the next smallest and so on and so on. Well, I saw this woman named Lexa, she runs a YouTube channel called Avocado Toast Budget. I'm like, I'm all in. <laughs> can you put a little bit of everything but the bagel seasoning on that and serve it up? Yes. In fact, she can. She served it up with this, um, the avalanche. She calls it the debt avalanche, not the snowball. It's called the avalanche. What happens with the debt avalanche is that you end up spending less over time and therefore paying off your debt faster because you are getting rid of that high interest debt first. For me, this is what worked. Now, I am one of those people in the personal finance community that really doesn't have a strong opinion either way. Do whatever works for you. As long as it's working for you, that's the one so that the you So the debt avalanche goes after the highest interest rate credit card first, not the one with the lowest balance. She says by paying that off first, you save more money in that free money that I just said you were giving away to the credit card companies. Yeah, I remember talking to Shane Stewart, our, our financial planner that we we tap into uh, here on the show, and he said they've done a lot of research into this about which to do because it makes a lot of sense. Pay off the high interest rate first uh, because it, it is so so onerous. He said ultimately what their research found is you're not doing you're not seeing much difference, mm. and and the psychological change. Of paying off a small debt first oh, okay. outweighs, you know, if you have $10,000 in credit card debt and you're paying it down at $300 a, a month, you just don't see huge gains. And it, you look at it and you're like, oh, I'm still years out from paying can I, this. Can I give you a different perspective? Okay. So I did the credit card calculator just before the show. The average U-ton right now is carrying $6,800 in credit card debt. If you were making $300 a month payments, 
at 29%, by the way, that's kind of the going right now. Ouch, right? 29% interest. You would pay that off in about three years. And the interest that you would just throw out the window is about $2,800 in interest. So if you have, if you just leave that high interest credit card alone and you let it marinate there for three years before you really start tackling it, that's a lot of money spent on interest. So there's two, there's different ways of thinking about it. I think Alexa was hit, Alexa was hitting on it well in her Avocado Toast Budget podcast, which is do what works best for you. But, you know, maybe the snowball method isn't the best way for you. And that 29% credit card interest rate is really hanging on over your head and you're like, I, I just got to get rid of that first. Straight ahead, uh, we're going to get an update on the latest with state school board member Natalie Klein. She's facing growing pressure to resign. No one should put anybody, anyone else's kids' pictures on Facebook, no matter what the issue. That's just. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday, starting at nine, or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. Dave and Dejanovic. Dave and Dejanovic. Special coverage of the top local story. We wanted to start this week with an update on state school board member Natalie Klein. She is facing mounting pressure to resign her seat. This comes after last week's big story broke about her Facebook post uh, and all the comments uh, that sat there until it was deleted that implied a high school girls basketball player is transgender. She is not transgender. So what if Klein doesn't resign? It has to stop, and we have to be the adults to say, you need to stop, but she should not hold elected office. Lawmakers are looking into some options this week, Dave. This will be very interesting to see how this plays out, because it's one thing. If you and I cross a line and we say something, our boss can fire us. Very easy. Like, boom, boom, right to work state. You're out, Dave. It'd be very easy to do. When it's an elected official, it's far more difficult. And that's what we're seeing right now. The Utah House of Representatives did open a file uh, to address Klein's actions. This is playing out in the state house, and the bill file is literally titled The Resolution to Address State School Board Member Natalie Klein. Now, to be clear, this is not an impeachment inquiry. However, it does allow officials to talk about impeachment and other options. At this stage, Klein cannot be removed by the State Board of Education because she is technically an elected official. But Utah law says she can be impeached. However, the process must start with a resolution in the House of Representatives. Hugo Cardbell, KSL News Radio. KSL Television's Lindsay Ertz joins us right now. Lindsay, you've been covering this story uh, since the beginning. Um, can you give us an idea uh, what's what's the latest? Yeah, well, Dave and Debbie, good morning. We're kind of waiting for the language of this resolution, as you heard Hugo mention in his report right there. This resolution is vaguely titled, and so what it does is basically you create a resolution, you open a bill file that allows legislative lawyers to go in and kind of and craft language. 
and research options and figure out what's constitutional and write it in a way that's constitutional. So what we heard on Friday is that there are a couple of options that lawmakers are looking into. First of all, impeachment is on the table. All options are on the table is what legislative leaders have told us. And additionally, lawmakers are considering possibly giving the power of impeachment to the state school board. So that would look like potentially a bill to uh, vest the power with them, if you will. And I even asked House Speaker Mike Schultz that specifically, do you have that power constitutionally? Because one of the questions was, well, if the power is with the legislature to impeach, can they transfer that power? And he told me directly that, yes, the legislature does have that power. So that's one of the options they're considering as well. Um, the House Speaker mentioned it would not be like an ethics complaint. He said the ethics uh, situation, this wasn't a situation that involved ethics. So it looks like between impeachment and then giving the state school board power, possibly other options um, are all on the table. But those are kind of the, some of the specifics they're looking at right now. I was uh, reading some of the comments that were coming out of the meeting late Friday. And the legislature usually meets with the press, um, you know, just in a Q&A session for updates. And I, I read that House Speaker Mike Schultz, I, I felt like I took this as he was kind of bugged that, that Klein had put them in this situation to have to deal with this with just limited amounts of time up on Capitol Hill to deal with some pretty big issues over the next few weeks. And I'm going to quote here. He said, the last thing I want to do is deal with this right now, uh, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but we have an obligation. It's our job and we will make the time. Uh, do you get the impression that uh, this will push some other uh, objectives off of the calendar so they have to stop and deal with uh, Natalie Klein in this Facebook post that she put up? Well, I think what the speaker was referencing there was just like, yeah, this takes time that they don't want to have to deal with in terms of they could be. I, I don't know that necessarily other legislation will get pushed, but this resolution has to go through the same process that every other resolution does, which means two committees. You know, committee in the House, full vote, committee in the Senate, full vote, right? So it just takes time to get through the process. And it takes time of the committees to gather, to get it on an agenda. you got to have 24 hours, you know, publicly noticed, et cetera. you got to have time to draft the bill language, right? And then that has to come out. So yeah. it's just the time that this all takes, I think, is what he was referencing to and that he did not want to have to have this be an issue for the rest of the session, whether or not it'll push other legislation, I'm not sure. But again, it does take lawmakers time. Sure. Lindsay, as we've been covering this story, uh, there's no question the post was in such poor taste, so tacky, just and hurtful. It's not illegal, correct? Um, it, it's not illegal in terms of uh, does she have a does she have free speech to post whatever she wants? Sure. But it's uh, she's not free from consequences. And so, um, you know, there could be potential litigation over defamation. So someone could prove that it was, you know, defamatory at the very least. But and that would be on the civil side, though. Yeah. Yeah. That would be civil as far as, you know, criminal. I don't know that anyone's talked about that. Was there any. Uh, talk or have you heard any chatter that despite the fact that it it was in poor taste and it was hurtful that 
anyone well, it was would, also wrong. Let me add to that, and, Dave. And it was wrong, wrong. Absolutely. She was absolutely wrong. Yeah. She, yeah, she was wrong. That was wrong information or wrong innuendo yes. that ended up catching fire and should not have happened. Would you leave it up to the voters to make that ultimate decision of whether or not she keeps her job? I think her seat's up uh, at the end of the year. She did win her seat originally by like 40 points. Is there any appetite to just say, okay, we'll leave it up to the voters to make this decision? Well, yeah, I think the House Speaker is actually torn on that issue. In fact, he said as much, when you vote to impeach, you take away the will of the voters. And that is one thing he was wrestling with in terms of if we impeach, that doesn't allow the voters to decide. At the same time, he said, we also need to hold uh, elected officials accountable. And he does believe that she violated her oath of office. And he even went so far as to agree with the fact that it rose to the level of malfeasance in office, which is a standard for impeachment. So he couldn't receive both sides of the issue. Um, impeachment would be very severe. Um, and so I don't, I, it's hard to get a sense of whether there's a full appetite for impeachment. I think that lawmakers, uh, probably are just thinking through that as judiciously as they can, because it's a slippery slope. If you impeach one person, does this open the standard for the next impeachment? And if we say, okay, we impeached Natalie Klein for this, can we impeach anyone else for anything else they do? It becomes a slippery slope in the some in the mind of some lawmakers. Any uh, any inference or information to suggest uh, she will resign? Because I haven't seen anything yeah. that says she's going to resign. Yeah, you know what's hard is we can't reach her. It's been hard to get her side of the story on this. However, I talked to four different state board of education members on uh, Thursday of last week and. Uh, pretty much their message was it's doubtful that she'll resign. I think they've worked with her closely and they know um, kind of her positions. And um, they all said to me that it was doubtful that she would resign. But I guess, you know, she's faced a lot of mounting pressure. So anything could happen. We'll continue to cover it. Thanks, Lens. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to mention that the Granite School Board uh, held a meeting late last week um, and there were the Tribune reported there were about 100 people who filled the room at the Granite School District's Board of Education um, and also in support of of this child uh, who ended up uh, being um, bullied on Facebook by a whole group of adults that piled on. It was horrible. And I was glad to see that so many community members came out in support of the family and this and the and this child who who plays girls high school basketball, who absolutely uh, was wronged uh, by a school board member. In my view, on her Facebook page, it was it was just it, it just nothing that should have never have ever happened. And my heart also. Uh, went out over the weekend, um, and when this started happening to this child, absolutely horrible. And just a reminder that Natalie Klein, who made that original post, she did remove the post and apologize several times in subsequent posts. A new poll shows Americans think both Trump and Biden are just too old for another term. America can do better than two 80-year-olds for president. Oh, but, but odds are we're going to vote for them anyway. Next. David Dujanovic. David Dujanovic. America's top political story. Special coverage with David Dujanovic. 86% of Americans in a new poll think that President Biden is too old to run for office in a second, for a second term. 
Um, Let that sink in. Almost 90% of Americans think he's too old. That's incredible. 60% almost also think Donald Trump is too old. Uh, This according to a new ABC News Ipsos uh, poll. So we have uh, the majority of Americans think that both guys who might be top of the ticket, probably will be top of their tickets, are, are too old, Dave. Not surprised. We've talked about this a lot of times. I think what surprises me is that 90% of Americans think that Joe Biden is too old, but they'll vote for him anyway. If he is the candidate, if he's the nominee, they will still vote for him. Back in 2020, he was 78 years old, 77 years old, and 81 million Americans still voted for him. Like, what? The, what's the difference between 77 and 81? There's not that much difference. It's not a night and day difference, but they still voted for him because we don't really care about the person. We care about the party. Here's what Nikki Haley has been saying on the campaign trail. America can do better than two 80-year-olds for president. You know, I don't know, Nikki. I mean, we're trying. <laughs> it, it, does, it, does it sound like ageism, though, when I say, I don't know, or, or Nikki Haley says, oh, we can do better. America can do better than two 80-year-olds for president. Um, we've been trying that. In fact, in fact, she's nowhere near the age of 80, and she's not doing so hot right now in the on the campaign trail when it comes to the primaries and the caucuses. Yeah, it, just look at what happened in Nevada, where Nikki Haley lost to uh, none of these candidates. That was literally a box on the ballot. It said none of these ca- candidates, and she lost... 62 to 30. 62% of people said none of these candidates. And then when they had the caucus with Donald Trump uh, yesterday or uh, this past week, he won 99% of the vote. So, yeah, Donald Trump is rolling. I think it's one of the hardest things for folks to do. And the timeline of life, um, I, I think as a woman, it's even probably harder than birthing a baby is to look in the mirror and say, I'm too old for this. And mean it. Not just like in passing, oh, I'm just too old for No, like to really look in the mirror and say, I no longer have the capacity that my company needs, America needs to run this place anymore. And it's it's time for me to take a step back. And some of you might say, well, it's better if they keep their mind going. Well, not on America's dying. Not when it comes to the you know safety of Americans and the big decisions that have to be made in the Oval Office. There's a reason there is a retirement age. Okay, we 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 have in the cases where there isn't a retirement age, like with Social Security, there's a retirement age, right? Was it 64 for me? It's probably 70 for you. But it's not so mandatory. No, it's not mandatory, but you get penalized. If you keep working at your same pay in the workforce, you can't collect your maximum Social Security. So I feel like we've got a situation where grandpas are not admitting that they're just too old to do it anymore. And President Biden was outed last week for his memory issues by Special Counsel Robert Hur in that long report that cleared him from criminal charges with those classified documents, but it definitely outed him 
when it comes to his memory. He couldn't remember within several years of when his son, Bo, had passed away from brain cancer. By the way, Bo died of brain cancer in 2015, and Biden was was angry. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, it wasn't any of their damn business. Okay, so he th- he's blaming the question. He's blaming the questioner. How about when uh, they were talking to him about these documents and he said, well, back in 2009, and he asked, he's like, was I still vice president then? 2009 was your first year as vice president. Yeah, you were still vice president. You were looking at another four years uh, and eight in total. So it, it wasn't just the bow thing. There were several instances in that report where his memory seemed to be failing. But don't, don't have we all had these conversations or, or needed to have these conversations with grandma and grandpa? And we just, sure. as a family, don't. It's awkward. It's awkward. We don't do it. We just let them keep driving until they run over fire hydrants and kitty cats in the road. You know, I mean, we just let them continue to live on their own until they have a horrible fall. And we find out later that the fall didn't break their hip, but their hip broke before the fall. And that's how come they fell, which is some quite often the case. So we have a hard, a difficult time as Americans admitting that, I think in large part because we don't know what the next is. Like, okay, so you are no longer capable of driving. So that means I have to drive you. Or we have to hook you up with an Uber app and hope that everything is safe. Like you don't end up Ubering to, you know, Canada by accident. So I think that's a large part why we don't have these conversations, but we've got to have this. We've got to be honest. We cannot just pick party over age, in my view. There are jobs, even in the government, where there are mandatory retirement ages. The air traffic controllers, they have a mandatory retirement age. Pilots, they have a mandatory retirement age. But we don't do this for politicians because who's making the laws? old politicians. So it's very difficult. You you said sometimes we have a hard time looking at ourselves in the mirror mm-hmm. and admitting to ourselves we're too old to be doing something. Yeah. And I, I, I started thinking, I, I'm like, you know what? I just had one of those moments. I went on one of those surf wave things with my kids, <laughs> you know, where you like got to stand up and you try to yeah. surf. Yeah. I may have fallen pretty hard I'm and sorry. messed up my shoulder. It's fine. It's. I mean, it's not. You think great. it was because of your age? Like this is something <laughs> yeah, you could have done. I'm way too old to be trying to surf but... at 50 years old, right? They, I, I'm too old to be doing that stuff. And it was a realization. Like, I, oh, I can't do that anymore. As fun as it is, as much as I want to be with the kids, there are certain things that, oh, I can't play basketball like I used to because the knees and the ankles just don't hold up. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time admitting that until something bad happens. Until I blow out an ACL or I tear my shoulder. Well, for me, it was, um, you know, I used to be rabid at working out, like literally every single day, tough workouts, like CrossFit workouts, sometimes twice a day, until about six months ago. 
and I played tennis my entire life growing up until I was in my mid-20s and competitively too. So I was a pretty good tennis player, never had tennis elbow. But what I discovered in doing burpees and sandbag cleans and, uh, you know, pull-ups, push-ups, all those things, is I developed tennis elbow mm. to the point where I could not even make my bed in the morning. Do you think, oh, you make your bed in the morning? Oh, yes, I make my bed in the morning, every morning, because I love coming home to a, a homemade bed. It's all made. I love it. Um, I couldn't even lift the sheet. I could hardly write. And it was just, it was tendonitis in my elbow, something I'd never had in my youth, playing tennis all of those years. But I had discovered that I, you know, was doing way too many burpees and all those other crazy things. So I changed to Zumba. And I do that several times a week now. And I love it. But I had to have a a face-to-face conversation with myself in the mirror and say, like, it's time to stop flopping around like a fish on the mat at the gym. (laughs) In those doing all those burpees, it's just time to stop. So we all agree, and this is what's wild about this poll. We all agree that Biden specifically is too old to run again, but we're still going to vote for him, or some people are, right? Uh, or Trump, or, or somebody's going to vote for these, you know, guys in their in their late seventies, early eighties. So my question, and I want to take phone calls on this: Are we so? convinced that we have to vote for the party or the policy that we don't care who the person is. Do you vote policy or do you vote person? 801-575-TALK. 801-575-TALK. America's top political story. Special coverage with Dave and DeGeneres. We say that 86% of Americans uh, think President Biden is too old to run for a second term. And nearly 60% also think that Trump is too old, according to a new poll. Um, Dave and I pointed out it's hard to admit that you're too old. Um, I figured out I was too old to continue to do um, burpees and pull-ups at the gym when I got tennis elbow for the first time in my life, uh, you know, not too long ago. And Dave was surfing when he flipped off backwards. And then a couple of weeks later, noticed he still had an owie. <laughs> my shoulder's not working. <laughs> From you, you flipped off the wrong way. Yeah. You just, I, I landed hard and, uh, it, you know, it was one of those indoor surfing things. And I, it was one of the few times I, I think that I've realized, Ooh, I'm too old to be doing this. There's other things I can Your do, kids but kids probably old for think this. that too, and don't want to say anything to you. Probably. I'm going to guess. Uh, I think they that's think true. I'm fun I think, dad. I yeah, fun dad. But I think it is hard for anybody to tell somebody that they're too old to do something. Um, although the polls are certainly telling both Trump and Biden that we do. The most Americans feel they're too old to serve another term. Yeah, Democrats and Republicans. That's an important part of it. Now. I was watching Bill Maher on HBO, uh, and he had he had somebody on. Uh, he was a rapper, Killer Mike. Anyway, and he was asking him about the upcoming election. Now, 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 Mike is a Democrat, and he was asking him, "Well, can you get behind Joe Biden?" And he couldn't bring himself to say, "Yeah, I'm getting behind Joe Biden." And he he explained the way he was looking at the election in this way, and I thought it was fascinating because it really brings up the question we're asking. Do you vote for the person or do you vote for the policy? Pick your policy, not your person. Find out. This is, 
This is not the Dallas Cowboys versus your favorite team. This is, this is the policies that will affect our generations for the next 20, 30, 40 years to come. So close your eyes, listen to the policies that are being pushed, and, and pay attention even to the people who don't have a chance of winning because they're going to say policies you may want to push. And I would say do that, but make it policy-based. Do you buy this? Are you in? We're taking your phone calls. 801-575-TALK. Do you pick the policy and not the person when you're electing somebody? Let's go with John in North Salt Lake. Hi, John. You there? Yes. Hi. Hello, can you hear me? We can hear you now. Yeah, I don't, yes, I don't think age should be a factor in a politician. They shouldn't be ineligible based on age. For example, Joe Biden is not too old to be president. He just has early stages of dementia and that's obvious to most people but he should not it's not an age thing and donald trump same thing he's old but he doesn't have dementia he just has some personality that people don't like but i don't think i think you should let people vote for who they want to vote for and make the decision well donald trump has been saying thanks so much john has been saying such, such wild stuff lately uh, that I, I don't know what to make of his cognitive abilities, although he has called for cognitive tests. I've called for cognitive tests. I actually think anybody running for president should have tests. I think, and I pass them every time. He passes them. <laughs> Again, part of what's difficult about this is we don't have a good benchmark. We don't have a good baseline of how to determine somebody's mental capacity. And, and who's, who's going to take that? Especially if you're a, a 70, 80-year-old, 90-year-old politician. We have 90-year-old politicians. Looking at you, Chuck Grassley. We, we just don't know. Okay, well, we, if you don't pass the test, mm-hmm. you get removed immediately? Yeah. Like it's it's a, a tricky area. There's a lot of layers to it. We're oversimplifying the complicated. Uh, but I think you've raised a good question. Do you pick the person over the policy? 801-575-TALK. Rich from Taylorsville. Hi, Rich. How are you? Good. How are you? You there? Yeah, we're here. Good. Hey, good. So here, here's the concern I have, and, and also concerning the last caller about the dementia. You know, they the, the president deals with a lot of things other than policy, and he needs to be able to function and, and, and deal with what he needs to and not forget. I... My father is going through something similar to that, and he's not able to function with things like he should. And he's in the beginning stages. And uh, it would be scary to have somebody in charge that's dealing with something like that, even though Biden's just being kind of the puppet, you know. But um, does, how do you deal with Does all it feel like that, that, concerning... that his staff is puppeteering of uh, some of this with oh, yeah. him? Yeah, oh, does yeah. it feel like that to you? Yeah. For, for, for sure. You, you can tell he's he's not remembering things. You can tell he's kind of just reading and kind of going with the flow. You know, well, so, you, so you have all these people that want to. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say you're you're not alone. I mean this this poll yeah, is as yeah. as uh, it condemns the president's mental state uh, more than anything. He said eighty six percent of Americans think President Biden is too old to run for a second term. You're not alone, and this is Republicans and uh, and Democrats. 
Thank you for the call. Uh, we appreciate you. Eight zero one five seven five talk. We're taking your phone calls, and th- here's the problem I have with with the idea that I'm voting for policy over the person. Is listen, I absolutely pay more attention to somebody's policy than their personality, but you can't extricate that. You can't separate the person from the policy in my in my estimation because if the person is untrustworthy if i if i can't trust that person uh if i if i think they're uh a bad person for for lack of a better word then how can i trust that they're going to be honest with the policy mm-hmm. that yeah. i agree with hey that's a great point it goes deeper than just what they say in the microphone you uh, you want to make sure that they're going to uh, do the right thing behind the scenes when we're not looking yeah uh, Georgia from Sandy, we've got time uh, to squeeze your phone call in. Okay, I'll hurry. I'm very passionate about this topic because I've always thought that they need to put limits on somebody's age. It isn't just whether or not they're mentally capable, but they also have to be physically capable to run a country. It takes a lot of energy. And I felt like if they passed a bipartisan bill saying you can't run after the age, this problem would be solved. Half of the country doesn't like Trump. Half the country doesn't like Biden because they feel he's too old. That you know, then none of them, none, neither of them could run if they had a policy saying after a certain age you just can't run for, to be the leader of the free world. Georgia, and, thank you. No, you're, and we do have minimum age requirements. We say you can't be president unless you're at least forty years old. So do we do we put some bookends on this? Say you can't run till you're 40, and then you're done by 65. So you've got to fall within that 20 year timeline to run for president. Is that the litmus test? Is that the limit that we want? Uh, I I'm not sure. I I would like to think that we are responsible enough as voters to be able to see somebody. And, and I'm not speaking just to, to Joe Biden here, but see somebody that is clearly unfit and make that estimation and say, even though they're part of my team, even though they're a Democrat or a, a Republican, I'm still not going to vote for them because they, the person, are unfit. But we don't do that because we cheer for teams. We don't cheer for individuals. Uh, next, we're celebrating Valentine's Week with a serious discussion about financial infidelity in your marriage. If you've been cheated on financially, you know, your spouse has gone up out and opened a bunch of credit cards without you knowing about it or wasn't paying the bills like they said they were. Oh, we're going to tell you uh, the secrets to fixing your marriage after financial infidelity. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to fix the marriage next. Dave, Dave and Genevieve. Hey, just a reminder, uh, it's secret contest time. This could be a great gift if you if you win those AirPod Pros. Um, it's a secret pod, podcast contest for our exclusively for our podcast listeners. So Dave's going to tell you what you need to do. It's so easy. Go to kslpodcast.com. Go to the Dave and Dujanovic podcast. And then uh, in between our segments, you'll hear me and Debbie talking, I'll give you a keyword. You take that keyword, you send it to 57500, and you're entered in to win a pair of AirPod Pros, the good ones.
Right on the money. Special coverage with Dave and Dejanovic. Well, it's Valentine's week. So we thought we'd talk about something uh, related to financial infidelity in our relationships. <laughs> because it's important to try to patch it together if you can. Now, I'm not saying it's possible. If somebody has 100 credit cards and they've stolen your identity to open up those credit cards. Probably not something you want to repair. I mean, you probably want to sever ties. But if you are in a relationship with somebody who's keeping maybe one or two or a few financial secrets from you, is there a way to salvage that, Dave? It's a great question because really we're talking about trust. And I think- That's a good point. More than anything, trust can be violated in a million different ways. It can be violated financially, uh, through relationships, extramarital affairs. Uh, There's so many ways you can violate trust. Financially is especially painful because it, it hits you right in the pocketbook, right? I mean, and this and this kind of thing can carry on for years and years and years. You could be paying the consequences. If you have a spouse that racks up tens of thousands of dollars of debt, then you could be paying that off for years. So it's a constant reminder that you betrayed my trust. Well, it would hit me in the heart. <laughs> then it would hit me in the pocketbook. It would hit me in the heart. I would be heartbroken if I found out somebody was off. It was, you know, opening up credit cards. But, but there's different kinds of, of financial infidelity besides just running around uh, and opening up credit cards and spending on them. Um, 30%. Of these secrets include spending more than your spouse or partner would want be okay with. Um, twenty three percent. Yeah, twenty three percent of like say you know holding any amount of secret debt would you know is 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 hurtful. How about a secret savings account? Does that count? Well, that's part of the survey here. Okay, so twenty percent say having a secret savings account, and I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'd be like, oh, that's awesome in some regards. But in others, would be like, why were you keeping that from yeah. me? Do you not trust me? Right. What were you going to go do with that money? Were you going to spend it on something special for us and the family? Or were you going to, you know, run away with your significant other that I didn't know you had? Oh, yeah. Oh, that went dark. <laughs> but that's kind of where <laughs> the es- mind goes, it right? It escalates quickly. And, <laughs> okay. and it, it, you know, when it comes to love, things escalate quickly. Ted Rossman, bank rate senior industry analyst. Um, so help us save these uh, relationships. Can you? Yes. I do think that people are generally very forgiving about these sort of things. But I think the longer the secret goes on, the more it takes on a life of its own. I really would urge people to communicate honestly and openly about money. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but you know, one recommendation would be to set up a money date with your spouse once a month. And you talk about upcoming bills, but you also talk about goals, buying a house, getting out of debt, saving for retirement, things like that. I feel like when you're aligned on the goals, then you're pulling in the same direction. And it's not so much of, oh, we have a budget so that we can say no to all this kind of spending. Uh, money date sounds amazing. It usually turns into fight night. <laughs> That's It's difficult to have the conversation because we may not be coming at it from you know the same spot. That's a valid point, yeah. I think another approach 
that I think factors into your question is the yours, mine, and ours idea. So this may be a way to head off some of the fights. You combine a lot of your money because you have a lot of joint financial expenses, but you each carve out some money that's yours and yours alone. The key is you have to agree on the parameters. Mm. So let's say you and your spouse agree that you each have 100 bucks a paycheck that's yours and yours alone. When you do it that way, then you have more independence over spending on certain hobbies and nights out with friends and things like that. So your spouse can't second guess like, wait, you bought what and how much did you spend? As long as you've agreed what goes into that account, I think then you can spend it, no questions asked. That might be a way to be independent within the relationship. We're talking about financial infidelity in relationships with Ted Rossman. He's a bank rate senior industry analyst giving us pro tips um, on how to, you know, mend fences when you find out your significant other has been financially cheating on you. I mean, what is the most like egregious point in your view where you feel like, Ted, this is just not something that can be repaired? Sometimes you do hear sad stories, you know, sometimes relating to addiction or things like that. Sometimes people have run up substantial amounts of secret debt. I really do think that the best approach is to just be honest and communicative, even if there's something in your past that you're not really proud of, like you spent too much or you took on too much debt or whatever it is. I do think people are mostly forgiving and you want to work together on it. What's harmful, though, is when the secret festers for a long time and then the other person's wondering, well, what else am I missing? Because they may find out at some point. Maybe you're applying for joint credit and it shows up on a credit report or a statement arrives in the mail. I don't think you can hide from it forever. I I do think it's better to be forthcoming the sooner the better. Ted, thanks for joining us. Ted Rossman, Bankrate Senior Industry Analyst. So like when an IRS lien shows up in the mail, that could be a hint that maybe taxes weren't getting paid. Uh, Or the bank forecloses on your home. It could be a hint that your significant other you thought was paying off, you know, or, or making your mortgage payments hasn't actually been making those mortgage payments and instead is pocketing the money. You found some very good tips uh, of how to deal with this, but I wanted to add this little nugget here before uh, you you give us some of the solutions. But more than one in three say that financial infidelity is at least as bad as physical infidelity. Mm. That, I guess I I don't see that. (laughs) I think the physical infidelity is far worse. But the, the fact that a third of people think it's just as bad Fiscal infidelity as physical infidelity. But they both uh, trail back to trust. Yes. So the root of both, or the issue with both, is we, we can't, how do we trust you? you know, yeah. How do we trust you from here on out? Ted gave us some great tips on how to start repairing that. Um, a lot of people say they just don't talk about finances because they're embarrassed. you got to get over that. Like there's things in life you can be embarrassed about, but you got to get over the embarrassment of just financial situation and just sit down and have a heart to heart conversation about it with the person you love the most. Um, they, they don't trust their partner with money is another reason. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to talk about money because they don't trust the other person. Well then if you don't trust your partner with money, that you're in the wrong relationship. You're just in the and, wrong relationship. And you could, but you can earn this. I think you can earn trust. Uh, one, one of the suggestions I saw was, uh, Come to a consensus on money goals and to get a mediator if needed. 
You know, let's mm. let's figure out what are we saving for? What are we moving toward? And then if you need a third-party person, and whether that's a, a marriage counselor or a financial counselor, they can walk you through and kind of explain and be that mediator. I hadn't thought about that, but that might be a perfect time to reach out for some third-party help. Next, it was the day before the big game, and Senator Mike Lee wasn't preparing Super Bowl snacks in the kitchen. No, it was a four-hour-long speech against funding in the Ukraine war. I think all of us would like to see Ukraine just win. We can't wish it into existence. We can't just dump enough money into it to make it happen. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the David Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at nine or at KSLnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to five seven five zero zero and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win. Dave and Dujanovic have inside sources. Well, there was a plan to address both border security and Ukraine funding. Um, but that died last week in the Senate. And uh, Senator uh, Mike Lee wasn't going to let that go without filibustering for four hours uh, this weekend talking about this issue. It was kind of a strange thing. Number one, the filibuster in general is kind of a an odd, a little oddity that we have in this country where you can just stand up in front and no one can do anything until you're done talking. You can just stand up there, talk as long as you want, whether it's one hour, four hours, or 24 hours. You get a stand. You get to own that podium and speak as long as you want. Boyd Matheson joins us right now. Boyd, you, uh, when you were working back in Washington, you were chief of staff to Senator Mike Lee. Did you ever uh, go through a marathon? Uh, yeah, we did one that was over, I think, close to 20 hours. It was like a long, Stop long it. one. Uh, this one, this one that happened over the weekend was very different. Uh, speaking for four hours on a Saturday uh, isn't really slowing down the uh, progress in terms yeah. of what's actually happening on the Senate floor. Uh, but I think the points. This is one of those where we again, whether you love what Senator Lee's doing and as it relates to immigration and Ukraine, or you hate what he's doing with immigration and Ukraine, you have to separate all of that out in terms of what are the issues at play. What is he actually? complaining about or talking about or trying to negotiate on. That's what this is really about. Uh, and so the first part is is really the process piece of this. So Debbie teed things up talking about border and Ukraine funding. That went down in the Senate, um, and it wasn't close. Uh, all the Republicans banded together, uh, and so there was no chance, so that was going to move forward. The next thing that's come up now is this smaller aid package, just Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan funding. And the promise, and this is one of the things that always happens in Washington, the leaders of both parties, so Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, go to the members and say, we're going to give you an amendment process. You'll have time to read the bill. We'll do regular order, whenever you hear that term, regular order. Uh, And what the senator is complaining about in this or protesting uh, is the process, that there really isn't any amendment process that's going to be made uh, to the members of either side of Uh, either Democrats or Republicans, it's those that were in the room where it happened behind closed doors saying, here's the deal, up or down vote. If you're just joining us and you didn't hear our nine o'clock hour when we were playing sound from Senator Mike Lee 
on the floor uh, filibustering for almost four hours. I think it was a good three and a half, three hours and 45 minutes uh, over speaking. And he was speaking out against the Ukraine funding. Let's listen to some of it now so we can sort of reset for our listeners what Senator Mike Lee was up to back in D.C. this weekend. This is why we're $34 trillion in debt, by the way. This is why we're now swimming in a sea not only of that $34 trillion in debt, which soon is going to be producing enough in interest payments alone to swallow up other priorities, including priorities that only we can take care of, like national defense. We cannot say, not credibly, not honestly, that we just inherited this. Yeah, shucks, there's nothing we can do about it. We know that's absurd. We know that's not true. We know that's not true because the rules themselves give us protection against that. And so I say, I implore, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, but especially if you're a Republican, and especially if you're a Republican, any of the Republicans who I think all of us said we should use this as an opportunity to force border security, to harness what support there is behind providing additional assistance to Ukraine to force security of the border with an administration bent on the opposite of that. And boy, there was that bill. There was a bipartisan bill that failed last week, hitting the very things that Senator Lee was talking about. Yeah, and so if you, again, got to unpack everything, it's all in the nuance pieces here. And that's why these things should be done one at a time. I think part of the reason that the senator was saying, hey, we've got to do the border bill, we do need to do a border bill. And, and he's making the case we should do a border bill before we deal with Ukraine or Israel. But he's saying we should have a border bill, not just negotiated by three senators, but all 100 senators should be involved in that process, uh, which there wasn't. There wasn't an, a markup in judiciary. There was no chance to offer amendments. It was the three, uh, one Republican, one independent and one Democrat, uh, got behind closed doors and, and did the deal. Um, and so that should be and I'm, and I'm good with that. I like those kinds of things as the beginning point. But then you got to put it on the floor and let the other 97 senators have a portion of that process. And that's, to me, why it's so important that we get these back to single bill. We should have a border discussion and a bill and get that done. We should have a conversation about Ukraine uh, and really getting to the core issues there of what are we funding. I think that's an important thing. Uh, if we're just doing things that are towards government funding of Ukraine and so on, as opposed to military things that are built in America employ Americans. Uh, I think that's a different kind of thing. Uh, and then this whole little issue of the $34 trillion in debt. So to me, there's three different things that happen. Easy to conflate them all into one filibuster speech and say this was just a protest. Uh, but if you unpack it uh, and look at the nuances, there's things that all of my Democratic friends say, we do need to have a different conversation about that and that. And that, so and that's where we have to. Where get. are we at with this, then, Boyd? Because uh, the filibuster is one thing when he's speaking up there for three or four hours um, on Saturday. But where are we at today uh, with this legislation? Does it look like uh, Ukraine is going to get funded, and then the border issue is going to be handled separately? Uh, so they they have already split those apart. So that started late last week, uh, and so there will be they've taken an initial vote in the Senate, which was to proceed to the bill. So saying now we can have a debate on the bill, and so that's why the senator took to the floor on Saturday. So the bill has been introduced strictly funding for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Uh, it passed that hurdle, so they're having that debate today. Okay, um, and then my guess is that the Senate will take a vote tomorrow or maybe Wednesday. 
uh, on that. And I suspect that will pass because they only need to get to 50 votes. So there's no filibuster. The filibuster thing's a myth. Um, so that will that will happen. And they just have to get to 50, uh, which will happen. The Democrats have enough votes there. Plus, they have the the vice president if they need to to break any tie. And then the question will be, what kind of pressure does that put on the House of Representatives uh, to do something uh, on that bill and get okay. that that funding done? Is this a problem, a matter of trust? When you see things linked together, where you're taking border security and uh, in war funding for Ukraine, you can't separate them, as I see it, because say they pass the border stuff, uh, and that goes through, com- comes into law. Is there a lack of trust that, oh, then you're not going to do my piece next? You're not going to do the Ukraine funding? or the? Is that an issue? Uh, were they why they link it together? Yeah, yes, and the and the trust is is within the chamber. Neither Democrats nor Republicans, the frontline members, they don't trust their leadership because this has happened in their this, own party. In their own party, not the other party. The other party, they they know who they're against, uh, but it's their, within their own party. And so you'll see Democrats and Republicans who are going to raise things because they don't trust their own leaders will give them a chance to offer an amendment uh, or to have a real debate about these issues. And so to me, that's why we should do one issue at a time. And if that becomes the standard, then everything is much cleaner, much clearer, and produce, produces better results for the American people. Boyd, thank you. Inside Sources today starts at 1. Oh, Boyd, you can't leave yet. We're going to talk about the top Super Bowl commercials. Come on. I mean, my my favorite, and Dave came to mind when I heard this one about about uh, paddle, paddle ball, paddle board, pickleball. pickleball. Yeah, but you are, me. you are in so much trouble. Oh, man. <laughs> By Dave and my wife. Pickleball, pickleball being called baby tennis. So this is pickleball? It's basically tennis for babies, but for adults. It should be called wiffle tennis. Dave and Jedek. What do you think of the Super Bowl ads this year, Dave? Fantastic. Oh. I loved them. I was underwhelmed. Stop it. I was underwhelmed. They were funny. I had two favorites. I'll see if you agree with my faves. And did you have a couple of faves? Yeah. I had a clear-cut winner. You a did? A clear-cut winner. Oh, okay. Well, I can't wait to hear what it is. I just, I, I'm trying to look up right now how many people watched the Super Bowl. Um, I'm sure it was off the charts because everybody that I knew, um, ooh, wow, a lot. Um, let's see. Well, this is last year's. Oh, we'll have to we'll have to get to the bottom of that. Caitlin, can you research that for us real quickly? I wonder how many. It's like 115 million people last year, so there's a lot of eyeballs on the Super Bowl, um, and the ads just cost so much money. So they got to be good, right? Uh, okay, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first with my top? Ads? Go ahead. Let's okay. let's hear. Well, the first one is, and I thought about you. I was laughing so hard at the uh, pickleball. I call it paddleball. Sorry, <laughs> it's kind of like table tennis. <laughs> for adults. They play on a really tiny court with little paddles. And Dave, is this is his like favorite sport. He he basically like gave up playing church basketball, I think, to 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 get involved in pickleball with all of his buddies. I gave up every sport that I've ever played to dedicate every waking moment to he pickleball. He will crawl on hands and knees into the new, newsroom with basically all but a broken ankle. <laughs> his foot's just dangling off of his leg. I'm his, fine. Because he's playing another round of pickleball when he should be giving it a rest. I can't feel my feet. Okay, E-Trade, you nailed it with the baby 
pickleball commercial. I loved it. So this is pickleball? It's basically tennis for babies, but for adults. <laughs> it should be called wiffle tennis. <laughs> yeah, because they play with something that looks like a little wiffle ball, right? They're not wrong. <laughs> I, mean, I love it. it. I love it. So, like, it's so baby. this is pickleball? It's basically tennis for babies, it's tennis but for, for adults. Babies. It should be called wiffle tennis. <laughs> I thought that was great. That was a great commercial. It was hilarious. It was also right on. I mean, there's nothing in that commercial that I could argue with because that's what pickleball is. But until you've experienced it, it's a lot like some of those crazy foods that are like, oh, I would never try that. I would never eat that until you try and you're like, oh, that's, you know what? That's not too bad. I, I actually like it. I like the one over the Doritos. It's like one bag of Doritos left on the grocery store shelf. And these two women who are up there in years, uh, they try to get to him before the guy gets them. Oh, it's dynamite. It's not dynamite. It's dinamita. It's dinamita. Uh, and they just chase him down. I mean, I just that I just thought that that commercial was funny. It was hilarious. And Doritos always delivers. Oh, not only this nummy fantastic. nacho taste, yeah, of Doritos, but also the commercials are amazing. Doritos has always been fantastic. They always have the funniest commercials. They have great commercials. In fact, uh, you know Alex Keery? Used to be here on KSL News Radio. Now he does a yes. sports show. He actually, they were having a contest. Doritos was having a contest of who could produce the best Doritos commercial. Ooh. And Alex and his buddies put one together, which is it didn't end up winning the national contest. You can find it on on on, on YouTube. It is one of the funniest commercials I've ever seen. Uh, this this is how I'll describe it. Alex gets attacked by a hawk. That's the punchline. He gets attacked, or a falcon. Hmm. Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, Doritos is always doing an amazing job with their commercials. What's your favorite? This was by far my favorite, was the Uber Eats ad. I didn't know you could get all the stuff on Uber Eats. Yeah. I remember that. Well, you know what they say, in order to remember something, you got to forget something else. Make a little room. So that was Jennifer Aniston. For everything you remember... Uh, you've got to forget something else. So then it just it plays out. Uh, she forgot Ross. Oh, she had forgotten Ross from Friends. David Schwimmer, she's like, do I know you? <laughs> it's like we were on a show together for 10 years. Uh, okay, there was a little drama to this commercial, though. Oh, to tell. Okay, so there was a big list of all the things that you forget. Like one guy's uh, talking with his boss and his boss says have a seat and he forgot what a chair is he forgot what a seat is so he he's staring at this chair like i don't know what to do with this um, but one of the funniest things because they released this commercial several days before the super bowl as a little preview was uh they had this guy eating a jar of peanut butter mm. and he had swollen up and he had had hives and blisters, clearly super Going allergic. Going into anaphylactic shock. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he's just eating this peanut One butter. One step away from death. And he says, oh, there's peanuts in peanut butter? It was, a, it was a super funny line. Well, they got a lot of flack for that. People uh, complained. It's like, uh, peanut allergies aren't funny. It's not a joke. Well, during the Super Bowl, they removed that portion of the commercial they just took it straight out they just got rid of it they got rid of it they caved they caved despite to the court of public opinion yeah despite it being super funny they took it out now i knew commercials uh, at the super bowl cost a ton of money um but i really thought that rfk jr ad 
Um, I'll let me play some of it for you. Was a seven million dollar bomb. Really? I, didn't, I didn't. I was not. I did not feel that ad at all. I wow. was just like, why would RFK Jr. take basically take an exact replica of his uncle JFK uh, ad? from the 60s when he was running for president and basically like put his face all over the yeah. ad and play the same ad. It's like, I just felt like that was in, it was weird and it, it didn't feel right. Like I just feel like anything you do when it comes to stealing ads from uh, JFK is just too soon. I mean, it's just too soon. It was assassinated and in cold blood and he left too you know, two children without a father, and then and then RFK posts on on Twitter X, whatever we want to call it today, um, that he was sorry after the fact that that ad had hurt any of his family members, but that a pack had paid for it and he had no legal authority to oversee it before it was released. I thought that whole thing just got it was weird from the beginning, and it just got weirder. Okay, this is where I I will disagree with you. I thought it was a great ad. In fact, this isn't some random guy. This is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. This is JFK was his uncle. Bobby Kennedy was his dad. You get to you get to play on that name. That is your name. This isn't you and I jumping in there and trying to, you know, spin up and make this this crazy comparison. This isn't Dan Quayle that is comparing himself to JFK. But that's all he did is play on the name. Yeah. It's just disingenuous. It was disingenuous from the start. First of all, it didn't tell me a thing about what RFK stands for. It just, you know, repeated the JFK jingle from, you know, decades and decades ago. He didn't say a thing about what he was going to do for our country as president. Also, like, your his dad was also assassinated. Why not yeah. ride on the coattails of his father? Why is he picking his uncle? It's a family name. It's a family name. I think he has every he apo- right. Then to. why did he apologize for it? No, he was, said, I, "I'm weird. sorry that people were offended. I'm I'm uh, I'm sorry that there were some people in my family that felt pain. That's that's how he described it. I don't think he's sorry about that. He's sorry that they felt bad about it. Mm. Um, you say it's too soon. I say it's sixty years. It's a part of the 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 legacy, the history. Um, the the key to a good commercial, in my opinion, is making it memorable. That was absolutely memorable. Well, and we're talking about it today, Yeah, to your point. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about it today, and a lot of other people are as well. There were a ton of other ads. Uh, we've asked you on Facebook to please uh, weigh in. What was? What did you think of the Super Bowl ads? I didn't think they were all that over-the-top spectacular, but Dave thought they were awesome. There's plenty more ads to talk about, so we thought it would be fun on a Monday after the Super Bowl uh, to get an ad expert on the line uh, to talk about what worked, what didn't, and uh, which company spent the most money. Dave and Dejanovic, your morning companions for talk, analysis, and key perspectives on Utah's biggest stories on KSL News Radio. I think most of us feel like Super Bowl ads are really super funny or uh, they're just plain bad like Dave what did you think about the State Farm um, ad with starring Arnold Schwarzenegger like a good neighbor 
State Farm is there. Cut. Hey, Arnold, I'm hearing neighbor. It, it's neighbor. That's what I said. <laughs> it's it's neighbor. It's That one was great. The State Farm one was great. In fact, I thought this was as good a batch of Super Bowl commercials as I've seen in years. Sometimes they get go through these stages where they're very uh, emotional, uh, kind of emo. This year, it was funny. I think that was the the hook. It was, let's make them funny. A lot of pending movie trailer commercials. Like, one was like coming in Thanksgiving. I'm like, Thanksgiving? You know how much is going to happen between now and Thanksgiving? You got to... That's a little too soon for me. But I, I, I really, I really, this is my absolute favorite, just because it poked at Dave. So this is pickleball? It's basically tennis for babies, but for adults. <laughs> it should be called wiffle tennis. I mean, we all think that, right? <laughs> Literally, E-Trade sat around the table and said, like, what do we think of pickleball? Like, it's tennis for babies. Oh, somebody write that down. It was, it was a classic. It was memorable. Yeah, that was great. That was fantastic. That was your favorite one. My favorite one was Uber Eats with Jennifer Aniston. You love that one. Yeah, love that. Yeah, let's let's let me see if I can get back to that one real quick. Where is that one? There it is. I found it. I didn't know you could get all this stuff on Uber Eats. I remember that. Well, you know what they say: in order to remember something, you got to forget something else. Make a little room. Then it just goes through all the things that people are forgetting. It was very clever, very funny. I loved it. She forgotten she was married to Ross. (laughs) <laughs> in friends, in friends, yeah. yeah. Yep. Walt McRoberts, uh, he's a partner with EVP uh, Make Advertising. Well, hello, Walt. Hello, thanks for having me today. Yeah, well, you're the expert on this. Um, wh- what ones worked? What ones uh, didn't? And which ones cost the most? Oh, I absolutely love the ones that you just went through already, I, and I agree with uh, what was said. I think this year had some great ads in it that really tried to jump into that storytelling and grab the emotions of consumers. A lot more of the more humorous or chuckle type of ads this year, as you said, in past years, especially during COVID, it was a lot more drama. So I was was really glad to see that we could get back to some humor and really make light of it, especially because the Super Bowl was kind of, the game itself was kind of boring until the second half, right? So it it, it helped entertain us in the meantime. (laughs) Agree. Um, So let's start with uh, the Dunk King commercial uh, starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and J-Lo. Affleck, you're on the track. What up, bro? Here comes the Boston Massacre. I wasn't exactly sold on this one, but do you like it? (laughs) I thought that they did a good job. I mean, if you look at Duncan as a brand, I thought, okay, you're really not selling the product too much, but you have so much star power in here that everyone's paying attention. It was a full minute commercial. I think they did good on the storytelling part. So I think as far as Duncan's concerned, it probably attracted their current customer base and said, hey, don't forget about us. Come and buy from us more. Okay, we we touched on this, but Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Cut. Hey, Arnold, I'm hearing neighbor. It's neighbor. That's what I said. (laughs) This one one was kind of tricky. I thought it was funny, but when you're kind of making fun of his accent, English is a second language, uh, what do you think? (laughs) I thought it was great. I I watched it all the way through that first time earlier in the game, and I thought that it did a great job. But 
they got a double bonus, right? The second it went into overtime, they got to play that ad yet again. And so to have over 100 million people see your ad twice in a row when they're really paying attention, I think it, it hit off the charts. I think it was a good one. Uh, let's get to Dave's fave, Uber Eats, uh, starring Jennifer Aniston and others. I didn't know you could get all this stuff on Uber Eats. Yeah. I remember that. Well, you know what they say, in order to remember something, you've got to forget something else. Make a little room. We're speaking with uh, Walt McRoberts. He's a partner with EVP Make Advertising about the Super Bowl ads, the hits and the misses. Uh, Uber Eats, go, Walt. What do you think? Well, I, I thought it was good, you know, especially if you consider who's primarily buying from them or buys from them frequently or uses their service frequently. I think it hit that right audience. And then, of course, they at the end of it, they jumped in with David Beckham and his wife. And so I think that star power in there, along with kind of teasing the ad um, space into what we know really happened on Friends, I think it just brought back a lot of memories and thus made it more memorable process. Yeah, the nostalgia is is always a, a good thing to call back to, assuming that everyone knows what you're talking about. It's true. It'll miss some people, but it wasn't it wasn't put too far left or too far right. Um, I think those that knew it would grab it, and those who didn't would just think it was a good ad anyway. Well, and I think the younger generation that's ordering from Uber Eats has probably binge-watching Friends on their favorite streaming service, <laughs> and they've seen the couch scene a million times when they can't get the sofa up the, up the stairs, and they just, you know, they just fall in love with Friends, no matter how old you are. I also fell in love with this ad, Walt. Uh, it was an E-Trade ad, um, and it's, you know, it's about pickleball babies. So this is pickleball? It's basically tennis for babies, but for adults. I just can't, wiffle tennis. I just can't stop laughing over the, <laughs> it's tennis for babies, because that's what we all think when we drive by those courts <laughs> and see the Dave Noriega, my co-host out there playing pickleball with a tiny paddle and a wiffle ball and calling it awesome. And it's the the whole sport is so hot right now, it right? Is. It's blown up across the entire country, and so so to kind of make fun of it makes a whole lot more people listen in really quick and really grab the fact that E Trade is trying to play off of this hot sport, if you will. And so I loved it; I thought it was great. Okay, which ad spent the most money? You know, that was really I I was surprised to see Timu, for example. They ran ad after ad after ad, yeah. three, four, five ads. And, Same one. And I think even, yeah, yeah, I think they even ran one for an entire minute. And personally, I, I didn't like them too much. They went into the whole animation piece, but we're all there to be entertained either with humor or pull us in with some dress, something, right? And the animation in and of itself didn't do that very well in my opinion. <laughs> and so everything that I'm seeing online, a lot of the comments were like that. I, I don't even remember those ads and yet they ran quite a few of them. So well, I think the, that was, a I would mistake. also say this. I, I don't know a lot about Timu. Uh, I've heard of it, um, but I don't use it to shop on. Let me play some of this ad. Feels like a dream. Feels like magic. Now I believe I can have it. Just, it sounds like something like, like, okay, come to Disneyland now. I mean, I, I still don't really understand what they're selling. But I, I will say this, Walt. I, my wife, uh, she said, well, maybe I should start ordering from them. Because she kind of thought it was a, a little bit of a shady business until she saw it on the Super Bowl. And mm. she's like, oh, this is legitimate. Then 
Maybe it, I maybe I do start shopping there. Yeah. Wow, that's it. What do you think of that, Walt? I think it's. I think that could be very true, but it's the fact that they had to run three or four of those <laughs> ads at seven million apiece before they could kind of break through that. And you know what? They are directly competing with Amazon, and so maybe that is what it's going to take for them to break through is to hit us hard, 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 and over and over again. So we'll have to see what happens. Any others that uh, felt like it was just a little too much money spent for the ad? You know, homes.com was really interesting. They ran three or four different ads as well, so they spent just a grundle of money, but they also went over the top on the production, right? There's a lot of different plays on that, as well as celebrities thrown into the mix. And so... I, I get that they're launching a product, a new website. They're trying to compete in this home builder space, which is good. And this may be what they needed to do. But I, I think the execution probably had some problems and people aren't going to remember it as much as they potentially could have if they would have gone about it a different way. Well, Walt, thanks for joining us. Walt McRoberts, who's a partner and executive vice president at Make Advertising. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a lot of money to waste to air a bomb. You know, if it doesn't resonate... Yeah. And you're and people are talking about it in the negative uh, by the next day. Oh, that ouch! Remember that thirty second commercial is going to cost you seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. Seven million dollars every time it runs. Thirty years ago, when my Cowboys were in the Super Bowl, it only cost a million dollars to run a, one of those. Dave, that was a long time ago. Next, uh, we laughed at the idea of drawing uh, Pacific Ocean water from the coast of California uh, through a pipeline to fill up the Great Salt Lake. Um, Turns out lawmakers are getting serious about it. More on that next. Hey, it's Debbie here. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. But you can also hear the Dave and Dujanovic show live on KSL News Radio Monday through Friday starting at 9 or at kslnewsradio.com. Keyword podcast. So text that keyword to 57500 and you'll be entered to win a pair of AirPod Pros. And be sure to listen for a new keyword next week and every week this February for even more chances to win.